Remember that in Venice, there are several museums that actually have a problem of under visits because everyone goes to the Mark, everyone goes to Guggenheim. There are, you know, museums that, you know, would actually use more tourists. You are listening to the Better Travel Podcast, the show that helps you be a smarter, better traveler. I am your host, travel journalist Paige McClanahan, here with you today for episode seven of the third season of the show. So that clip you heard at the top of the episode comes from Italian journalist Anna Momigliano, and she is talking about tourism in Venice, which of course is a city that has become very well known for its tourist crowds. But as you're going to hear Anna explain in today's episode, the situation in Venice is actually a lot more complicated and a lot more nuanced than you might have thought. Certainly it's a lot more nuanced than I thought before I had this conversation with her. So today, Anna helps us understand what is going on with tourism in Venice. She also offers us some fantastic and really concrete advice for how we can visit this famous and beloved place in a way that supports the city and the people who live there. So you're going to hear more from Anna in just a minute. But before we get to the main event, there's one quick thing that I want to tell you about. So if you like discovering new travel shows, travel books, travel podcasts, or you just like to follow interesting news from the travel world, then I think you might enjoy my newsletter, which comes out just once a month on the second Tuesday of every month. And it's full of all of the most fun and interesting things from the travel world that I've been coming across and enjoying. I'm also traveling a lot for my reporting at the moment. As this episode drops, I'm actually sitting somewhere on the back of a plane in an economy class seat on my way back from Cambodia, so think of me. (laughs) But you'll get fun updates in the newsletter from me and what I'm up to in my reporting and travels. So if that sounds like something you might enjoy, I invite you to take a look at your phone right now as you're listening, scroll down in the show notes, and tap on that link to subscribe. But now I want to get back to today's episode. So our guest today is Anna Momigliano. Anna is an Italian freelance journalist based in Milan. She contributes to the New York Times, The Atlantic, as well as to Italian media. And she has written a lot about tourism in Venice, which is a city that she told me she fell in love with when work brought her to the city when she was a young adult. So I started my conversation with Anna by asking her how Venice got to the point of having what's been called a monoculture of tourism. Yes, okay, so we have to go really back. Venice used to be a superpower in the early part of the Middle Ages. Like it was so powerful around the year 1000, 1100, that basically the Brits and the French felt very, you know, threatened by them, you know. But Venice started declining as a superpower around the 1400 when America was discovered and France and Britain and Spain start to emerge as mercantile power. So it slowly declined from then. We're talking like a long time. And by the 1700, it was actually a main tourist spot. You know, a different kind of tourism. Noblemen, poets, artists would go to Venice and kind of feel inspiration in its beauty and decadence. But to understand Venice decadence, we have to understand that it's like more than 300 years that it has been a city in decline. What you refer to as monoculture of tourism, the fact that Venice has only tourism, is a more recent phenomenon. I would say that it started about 40 years ago and kind of become much more serious in the past two decades. And it has to do with the fact that 
that part as a city beyond tourism, Venice suffered a more recent decline. It used to be an industrial city, not the historical Venice that you think, but it's mainland. It used to be a very good service industry. But then two things happened. First, deindustrialization. And second, Milan monopolized the service industry from all Italy. You know, Milan emerged as the one big hub of service industry, like insurances, finance, you know, until maybe 15 years ago, the biggest insurance company in Italy used to be in Venice. But then they moved to Milan. And like with many other things. So basically, tourism is the only thing that remained. Fascinating. And so you told me just a few minutes ago that you first kind of fell in love with Venice in 2008 and 2009 when you were visiting for work. I mean, since then, even, you know, in the past, say, you know, 10 to 15 years or so, how have you seen tourism shifting in Venice in terms of, you know, how dominant it is there? Well, I think that if we take away the pandemic years, we could really witness a steadily growth. And what's really struck me that Venice is still Venice, meaning that the moment, it's a small place, and the moment that you step away from the most touristy places, it's empty. And we're talking like maybe, you know, half a kilometers away from St. Mark. You don't have to walk much. But, I mean, what has struck me that you can really see how concentrated the mass presence is just basically in St. Mark Square and the surrounding areas. And another thing that struck me is how many of the people who lived there I knew moved somewhere else. Wow, wow. And, you know, I think you sent me a link to a story about how the population in Venice has changed over the years. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, okay. So, first of all, when we talk about the population of Venice, what we mean is the population in Venice historical center, like the Isle of Venice that we generally speak Venice. Venice is a big city beside that. And now it has gone below 50,000. Basically, it means that in the past 40 years, it has lost almost half of its population. And then again, this is not just about tourism. Tourism is part of the equation, but it's not the only thing. First of all, Italy's population is aging. So a lot of cities are losing population. And second, it has to be about unemployment. You know, people are moving, not necessarily because they're like fleeing tourists, but maybe they're simply getting a job in Milan, in Rome or abroad. Interesting. And the old people who are staying during the pandemic, some young couple came back and still the population went down. So I asked one of the guy who follows the population in Venice, how is it possible? Well, because... At a certain point of a population decline, you cannot go back because since the majority of people who are staying behind are old people and old people usually don't have babies, the population is declining despite the fact that now there is a retourne phenomenon. During the pandemic year, some young people, especially artists, creative people, teachers are making a comeback to Venice. But that's not enough to stop the population decline because once you have a very old population, you're not going to have children. Interesting, interesting. So tourism is part of that story, but it's not the whole story, I guess. And and that 50,000, that sort of, you know, maybe, you know, emblematic milestone of 50,000 was just, was it just in August that 
the population yes. finally dipped below 50,000 in Venice, yes. in the historic kind of center of Venice. Yes. Wow. Do you know, I have never actually been to Venice. We don't even live that far away. But I have to say, I think, you know, the city fascinates me, but I think I've probably stayed away because I kind of feel like I don't want to go and contribute to a problem. But I would love to hear you just describe what Venice feels like. I mean, you mentioned that it's possible to get away from the crowds. But if you're there on a day sort of in high tourist season in some of those most popular, most famous areas, what does it actually feel like to be on the well, ground Well, it can there? be overwhelming. Like, it depends how, like, are you the kind of person who would go to Disneyland or not? Because if, like me, you, you hate crowds, it can be claustrophobic. If you don't mind, it's not so bad. I mean, you take a long line, then you see St. Mark, which is, like, amazing. It's worth seeing. But what I would like to stress that Venice has a really bad name for being overcrowded. But the moment that you choose to go not in high season, high season is either the summer or the time around the carnival. If you go in low season and if you do the smart thing, which is to spend several days in Venice, not one day. First day, you do all the more touristy things that deserve, you know, you go to San Marco, you take a gondola tour, whatever. But then you visit le lesser known areas. For example, the Jewish ghetto. The Jewish ghetto is kind of known, but you don't see many tourists around. You saw Canareggio and you say the Giudecca and, you know, the lesser known places in Venice. It's really amazing because Venice, if experienced it correctly, it's a way of life. It's not a city. I describe it this way. You know, Venice has all the sophistication of northern Italy, you know, the fashion part of Italy. But at the same time, it has the slowliness, the, you know, the take life with philosophy attitude that southern Italy has. So it's like the best of a country. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Okay, you've just convinced me. I need to go. I really found it interesting what you were saying about, you know, there are problems of congestion and stuff, but it's really easy to avoid them. And that reminds me of conversations I've had with people who work in tourism and in tourism management in places like Iceland and Amsterdam, where they say, yeah, listen, we do have problems with overcrowding, but it's really specific. It's really specific to certain places, to certain locations, and to certain times of year and to certain times of day. So to kind of blanket sort of dismiss a place because of concerns about crowds is really kind of maybe being a little bit too simplistic about it. But I would love to ask you about one issue that I know has been really kind of controversial in Venice, and that is this issue of cruise ships. Can you talk about, you know, what's been going on with cruise ships in Venice lately? Okay, so cruise ships have always been controversial because... Uh, in general, you know, they're considered quite a polluting form of tourism, but specifically in Venice, they're considered a problem for two reasons. First is aesthetical reason. You know, you, you are in a small city and you see these like huge, it's like the Empire State building on a ship, you know, it's, it can be a bit of a shock, but most of all, you have to understand that Venice in a, is a, a very delicate ecosystem besides being a very delicate city. You have the Venetian lagoon, like maybe you see it and you think it's sea, it's open sea, but it's not. It's really, really, really shallow. It's so shallow that at some point it's 50 centimeters deep. Wow. Of course. No, 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 you can see like I was in Chioggia like recently and I could put my hand in the lagoon and feel the bottom and I'm a small woman. But within that lagoon, there are canals. There are deeper area that are, you know, you can go through the ship that are either excavated by currents or by men. 
And of course, you know, the cruise ship used to go through the Canale della Giudecca, which is quite deep. But still, it's not ideal because you're in this very, very shallow environment and everything around, you know, is kind of shaking. Not to mention that, you know, there have been accidents. The, the canals are also very narrow. So what happened is that actually a long time ago, in 2012, there was a law that banned cruise ships from historical Venice. Historical Venice doesn't mean they still can be in the lagoon. They can go to Venice mainland. But they are supposedly banned. Problem, the law was conditional. The law was saying, okay, fine, crews are banned, but the law will be effective only when we will find alternative ports. Finding alternative ports is a bit you know, expensive and complicated. So the law was not applied until 2021, when still they did not have alternative ports. But, you know, there was so much of bad publicity around this that the government said, you know, whatever, just stop. We'll find the port later, but now you, you stop. And the cruise industry, we must, you know, recognize that, you know, they didn't put on any trouble. They say, okay, fine, we'll just renounce to Venice for a year. Anyway, 2021 was a pandemic year. The tour industry stopped in 2021. And what happened that this summer, when the cruise ship industry resumed, finally, they had built alternative ports. What they did is most of the cruise ships are now redirected to Marghera, which is Venice mainland, some of them to Trieste, which is a city next to the border with Slovenia nearby, some of them in Chioggia, which is like the little Venice, another city within the lagoon, really pretty. So to make a long story short, basically the cruise ships can still go within the lagoon, but they cannot go to the island of historical Venice. Interesting, interesting. And I know that this issue of cruise ships coming into the historic Venice was something that really motivated a lot of Venice residents. You know, I remember seeing headlines about protests and things against cruise ships. I wonder, I mean, you mentioned the environmental impact of the pollution of cruise ships, but I wonder if you could talk about the impact of all of those day trippers coming into Venice. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, like, I want to clarify one thing. Yes, there have been a lot of like protests against cruise ships, and these No Grandinavi Comité is 100% grassroots. They are real Venetians. But there have been also, you know, citizens of Venice who were pro-cruise ship because they work for the industry. Yeah. And most of them are not people who work on sea, but cleaner, mostly like cleaning ladies, you know, food sellers, you know, who provide service the ships while they are docked in Venice. So, I mean, they're, they're both sides of the coins. Like, there are some people who, you know, who lost their jobs, so we're not very happy about that. Okay, so day trip is a... Okay, I repeat this. Time is key here. Venice is not supposed to be enjoyed quickly. If you can... I mean, if you're really, like, tremendously on a budget and seeing one day of Venice is the only opportunity of a lifetime, I understand it, do it. But if you have a time and the resources, you really have to go there for a little while, spend as much money as you can, I mean, compatible with your resources. You know, think of it about like, you know, fast fashion. You know, you can buy 20 like really cheap t-shirts that, you know, will pollute the environment or maybe one good t-shirt that, you know, it's not so polluting. Like, so tourism go like that. Day trippers are a huge, huge problem because of several reasons. First of all, they 
don't bring any positive side of tourism. They don't spend much money. So, you know, they don't help the city economy that much. And then because you want to see everything in a day, what you do is you basically, you just concentrate your visit in the most touristy area, in basically in St. Mark's Squares and the immediate, you know, surrounding, which contributes to the crowding. And then you move very fast, which is also bad for the general, you know, circulation. But I have to be clear about this. Cruises and day trip are often conflated, but that's not really the case. Two reasons. First of all, cruises tend to have Venice as their main port. They leave from Venice and they start, because usually what you do is, you know, start from Venice, then see southern Italy, a bit of Greece, then uh, Yugoslavia, the former Yugoslavia, and then you go back to Venice. So usually people who come with cruises spend the night in Venice. Usually, no, not everyone. And second, you have to understand that most of day trippers come from the vicinity. They take the train from Milan. Milanese are the worst, you know. We take the train, we go to Venice. You know, it's a typical thing. You take the train by 10 a.m. in Venice, 7 p.m. you come back. Another typical thing is, you know, in Veneto, the region of Venice, there are a lot of like sea, uh, towns that are sea, beach resorts. And usually Italian families or German and Northern European tourists spend the two weeks in the summer there. And the typical thing is that they take one day trip to Venice. They come with this big boat, but are not like cruise ships boat, maybe with 200 people. And another problem, actually, uh, last time I was in Venice, people were complaining, is bachelorette parties oh, from no. Veneto. Apparently, it's a big thing about like young Veneto girls before they get married to go one night to Venice, get trashed there and then go back. Which, I mean, I, I don't want like judge negatively, you know, you're going to get married, you want to have a bit of fun. But the problem is that so many of them, all in the same season, go to Venice. And again, we don't want to point the finger on cruises, on German tourists to spend the, or spend the summer in Veneto, on bachelorette parties, but you have to put everything together. And the scale of a day tripping to Venice is massive. It's massive. So I think that all what we can say is that if you can avoid seeing Venice as a day trip, please do. And if you can wait for a time in which you have a little bit more of time, a little bit of more of money, I mean, it's probably the best choice. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. And that gets to a question that I wanted to ask you is that, you know, if somebody listening to this show wants to go to Venice, like, you know, I would count myself in that category now, but you don't want to contribute to a problem. And, you know, if possible, you want to sort of do something good for the city or spend your money in a way that will help the city while you're there. You know, what things should you keep in mind? And it sounds like the first thing you said maybe is to spend the night or spend several nights. Ideally, what I would suggest is three or four a night, if you can. If you can, maybe the first day you see what everyone else sees in like San Mark and the area. Then the second day, maybe you see the ghetto. And the third day, you can see uh, Murano and Burano, their nearby island. And the fourth day, you can take a trip to Chioggia or to other nearby destination. Another important thing is if you can avoid the high season, the summer, and February around the carnival. And then if you really want to be like super conscious, there are several initiatives 
to experience Venice sustainably, there is initiative called, if I remember it correctly, Venice Sustainable Tourism. Dot com. Oh, fantastic. And basically, okay. yeah, it's a group of tour guides that organize tour in lesser known areas. For example, they, they bring you to visit Vescole. Vescole are these very beautiful medieval buildings that used to be charities back in the days. Some of them are still working. They're not open, always open to the public. So you have to see them with a guide. And part of the fee goes to restoring all these paintings, all this beautiful art that got damaged in the past Aqua Alta, in the flood in 2019. Oh, and one last thing, remember that in Venice there are several museums that actually have a problem of under-visits. Because everyone goes to St. Mark, everyone goes to Guggenheim, there are, you know, museums that, you know, would actually use more tourists. So if you want, I can give you a list. You can put it on your website. Yes, please. I'll put all of this in the show notes. So you mentioned already VeniceSustainableTourism.com, where you can find yes. some some maybe interesting, innovative tours. Yeah. And for those who have a bit on, on the higher end of spending possibility, there is also this initiative called Edipore. You know, it's from the Greek Edipore. It's the Italian of Oedipus the King, you know, the Greek okay. tragedy. Yeah. And basically... It's a cultural association that usually has a theater initiative in Venice and they have a sailboat, like no, no gas. In a sailboat, they will take you to a tour of Venice on a sailboat to restaurants that have like uh, only serve locally grown food. And then they, they bring you to, to theater and the boat I mean, for those who appreciate Italian culture used to belong to Pasolini, the famous poet. So. Oh, wow. That sounds like a wonderful experience. Yeah, but that's a bit pricey, but I mean, if you can afford it, like, good for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fascinating. And I understand that Venice is also about to introduce a new digital reservation system for the city center. Can you describe what that is and, and yeah, how it's okay. going to work? Yeah, okay. First of all, I will take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> okay. Because Venice has been announcing for years and years that would, they would introduce the so-called numero chiuso. A fixed number of people who let in. They've never done it until recently. They finally announced a date, which is next year, and a system. Basically, the system took inspiration from the so-called COVID passports, you know, that we have in Europe. I don't know if they have it in the States. Basically, it's an app and a QR code that you download on your computer. And the way they are supposed to enforce it is that the local policeman will check your phone as we do it with COVID passports. I'm not sure how will this work. The idea behind it is not so stupid because what they're thinking that, you know, the fee will change depending on the time of the year with the objective, of course, of disincentivizing you to go in the high season and, you know, kind of making it easier for people to go on the off season. And also... It will be free, this app, for those who spend the night. If you go to a hotel, you will not have to pay the fee. So that will also an incentive. The idea, I think it's smart. I'm not sure how they're going to enforce it. Because I, didn't, I never seen many policemen around Venice. I mean, how, who's going to check? <laughs> and also, it's not a way. You know, Venice, you can reach Venice in many ways through airport, through car. You can actually, people don't know that, but you can drive to Venice if you want. Don't do that. It's really bad for the environment and also very expensive. But if you want, you can drive to Venice. You can go there by train. You can go there by, by, by small uh, ferry boat. For example, if you come from Veneto, from Yesolo, from those touristy area. 
So there is no way to check the entrance. It's not Disney World. There is not one entrance. I see. So the idea is that because I saw in a news article that they're talking about introducing it in January 2023, but I guess maybe yes. we'll take that with a grain of salt, as you said. No, I no, I would think they will introduce it, mm. but I'm not sure how it will be checked. I don't know if in France you have this COVID passport. Yes. Like you have it. Yeah. You have it in Italy. And it really depends. Like if you go to a big restaurant, of course, they're going to check it. But if I go in the tiny restaurant here, like maybe, you know, if a cook is not busy, he will check it. But if it's busy in that moment, you know, who's going to check? So I I'm not so sure it will be enforced. Interesting. But the idea is that you would go online and pay what kind of between three and 10 euros or something like that? Yes, something in yes, that range? Yes, that order of money. I think that the average is six. So it's not a huge sum um, amount of money. I think that most people can afford it. And again, and what they made it clear is that it's not a system meant to keep tourists out. It's a system meant to try to push the flow in a different direction. Off-season is possible, staying overnight. So I think it's a very balanced approach. Yeah. You know, one thing that really struck me in reading your journalism about tourism in Venice is, you know, the number of locals who you quoted in your pieces who are saying listen, I support tourism. I want it to be better managed, but I do want tourism to continue. I mean, I think you quoted one guy who has been involved in tourism demonstrations, but who also rents out a few rooms in his apartment on Airbnb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. also the guy who keeps track. He's a bit of a local celebrity. This guy, Matteo, he keeps track of the Venice population. And he has a sign in Venice's largest pharmacy. So each day, you know, if you need to buy an aspirin, something else, you see the population going oh my gosh. down. Oh, wow. It's kind of anxiety inducing. <laughs> but even him, I mean, he, you know, you said in the article, like he doesn't see any kind of hypocrisy between, you know, his campaigning work that he's doing and renting out rooms on Airbnb. You know, he sees tourism as part of the economy, but he wants it to be managed in the right way, I guess. Is that, would you say that's accurate? I think it's a bit, you know, the history of our time. You know, we all want to stop global warming, but we also have to make a living, you know. And if we go to Venice specifically, all the rest of the economy is really, like, there's no much there, you know. And, and that's not because of tourism. The industrialization, service industry moved to Milan. It's not tourists that kill the, the non-touristy economy. But it's sort of, you know, it's a vicious cycle. You know, the more you have this over-tourism, the more other businesses are even more encouraged to go somewhere else. But I think that Venice has to face the fact that it's no longer, you know, the Venice of Marco Polo in the 1200s. It's not an economic superpower. It's a mid-sized town in northern Italy. And tourism, it's its main business. What the city is doing, though very interestingly, is to try to create, not too much to incentivize permanent residents to come back, but to have long-term stayers, by which I mean students, researchers. For example, Venice is a bit of a university town. Cafoscari is one of the best universities in Italy, especially, you know, for, you know, if you start in oriental languages or, you know, something in particular. But what happened is that most of the students would be commuters, even from Veneto or from Venice mainland. So now what they're doing is to build more dormitories. I think they're converting other buildings. They're not building new buildings for the students. And they say, oh, these are not like living their entire life in Venice. They are doing their four or five or three years of college, but they're staying there. And also 
It has opened, now they're trying to open a startup accelerator in Venice with a strong focus on global warming, on the study of technical solutions for global warming. And again, you're not bringing like millions of people, but hopefully, you know, maybe some hundreds of new temporary residents who, you know, they're winning grants and maybe staying there for a couple of years. In, in the Jewish ghetto, they are having artist residencies. They invite, well, in this case, Jewish artists from around the globe to spend six months in Venice. So I think there are a lot of interesting initiatives to incentivize people to spend longer periods in Venice. Oh, that's fascinating. And I think in one of your articles, you quote somebody at a university who says, oh, we have no trouble filling our sort of visiting lecture positions. You know, everybody wants to come spend a semester or an academic year in Venice. I mean, that sounds pretty amazing. Well, I am feeling so inspired to come and see Venice. And thank you so much for sharing all of these tips about, you know, cool tours to check out and museums. And so I will get all of those details from you and put them in the show notes for people. But I wonder, Anna, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share? What I can really feel from Venice that for the past decade at least, there has been a lot of talks about how to make tourism and life in general more sustainable in Venice. And this year, for the first time, I get the impression that something, that's not just talk, that people are starting to, to slowly try to do something about, against it. You know, we're talking about the cruise ship ban, who's old but finally got affected. We are talking about like the university finally building this dorm that have been in the talks for like decades. So I think that things are very, very slowly, but starting to move. And I don't know if it will be enough, but for the first time, I'm a bit optimistic. Thank you so much to Anna Momigliano for taking the time to come on the show and share her insights with us. If you would like more information, check the show notes for a ton of interesting links, all of which Anna shared with me so that I could pass them along to you. You'll find unlocked links to stories that Anna has written for the New York Times. There are links to the Venice Sustainable Tourism website and a couple of other cool organizations that Anna recommends. And there are links to three museums in the city that Anna says could use some more visitors. So check it out if you're interested. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, it would mean so much to me if you would just take a few seconds to rate the show on Apple Podcasts or even, you know, leave me a comment or a review. I can see on my end that the show's audience is growing, which makes me so excited. And honestly, I would love to hear from you. You've been listening to the Better Travel Podcast, and I am your host, Paige McClanahan. Jessica Danheiser composed our score, and the fantastic team at We Edit Podcasts edited this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you in two weeks. 